Hey there, let's take some time to level up your poker game. My name is Mike Brady, and I'm joined by Scottish poker pro, Gary Blackwood. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Level Up podcast. Today, we're going to talk about probing the turn that the flop has gone check, check. And you're thinking about whether or not to bet the turn. And we're going to discuss things like how often you should be betting, what size you should be choosing, and the range that wants to probe. Very important topic. So listen up. Yeah. So as Gary said, this episode is going to be all about pro betting which is when you bet into a player who had the opportunity to continuation bet on the prior street, but chose to check instead. For example, suppose a player raises and you call in the big blind, the flop comes three cards, you check, and your opponent checks back. If you were to bet on the subsequent turn card, that would be a probe bet. And as you may have realized, probing is only possible on the turn and river. It could also happen if your opponent C-bets on the flop, and then the turn goes check-check, then you can probe the river, but we're going to be focusing on turn probing today because it's quite a big topic, so we want to hone in on just turn play. So before I start picking Gary's brain, I'm going to give you a quick intro to probing so you know how it works and why it's important. Often, when the preflop aggressor chooses to not continuation bet on the flop, you can profitably probe on the turn with a wide range of hands. This play tends to be effective because your average opponent doesn't properly balance their flop checkback range. That is to say, they don't check back often enough with decent or strong hands on the flop, which opens the door for you to win the pot by probing at a high frequency. Of course, as with all things poker, it's important to find balance. If you always bet the turn after the flop goes check-check, then your smarter opponents can exploit you by trap-checking back on the flop with nutted hands. We're going to break this episode into three parts. First, we'll talk about probe sizing so you know exactly how big to bet. From there, we'll talk about the range with which you should probe bet on a variety of board textures. Finally, we'll go over a few quick example probing spots to help cement your understanding of this tactic. So, Gary, suppose you defend your big blind, the flop goes check-check, and you have a hand worthy of a probe bet on the turn. What factors are swirling in your mind when deciding how big to size that probe bet. So the first thing we're going to talk about is probably the most important thing that we'll discuss today. You must really think about how good or bad the board is for your range. Not just the flop, not just the turn, but the entire board. We must think about how good that is for our range, how middling that is for our range, or how bad that is for our range. If the board is really good for you, you want to stab very often, and therefore your sizing will usually be smaller because you're betting wider. If the board is not that great for you, you'll be betting much more infrequently, and your sizing scheme must reflect that. You'll end up betting a lot bigger in a lot of spots. As always, there are always exceptions to the rule in poker. It's a very complicated game, but that's a really good way to define your probing strategy. If you're betting often, you use a smaller bet size, but when you're very polarized, you use a much larger bet size. Obviously, a little later, we'll break down some of the boards and some of the sizes that we want to choose. But yeah, ask yourself, am I betting relatively often here or am I rarely betting? One very quick example to get you thinking, say the button opens, the big blind calls, the flop is king, five deuce rainbow, the button checks back on the queen turn, for example, you don't want to bet a hand like five, six suited. You don't want to bet pocket sevens. You don't want to bet a hand like queen nine very often. It's really not a great board for us. So your sizing scheme will reflect that you use a lot of very big bets. But say, for example, king five deuce to turn is a four. You're much more inclined to bet a hand like pocket sevens, your turn pairs, your five, six suited, your weaker king X. Not always betting these hands, but certainly not never betting them. So get into the habit of knowing what turns are really bad for your range, what turns aren't too bad, and build your sizing scheme around that. Nice. That was good. 
All right, now that you have some heuristics for pro bet sizing, let's talk about ranges. How do you go about building your range when pro betting on the King 5 2 board you just mentioned? Maybe talk about a couple different turns. Okay, so let's start with King 5 Deuce and a Queen on the turn. This is not a great turn for us. This board overall is not great for us. We're rarely betting this, this turn. It's really not a great turn for us. And, you know, kind of as mentioned in the introduction, we're not betting a hand like 6 5 suited. We're not betting a hand like pocket eights. Our betting range is really quite narrow. We've got some two pairs. We've got hands like King 5. King, queen offsuit sometimes, queen five, queen deuce. Those are the types of hands that want to bet. We've got some sets like pocket fives, of course, pocket deuces. But, you know, all those two pairs, all those sets, you know, maybe some of our strongest top pairs like king jack, that's not a really wide value range. And therefore, our bluffs are going to be really centered around equity when our overall global frequency, i.e. how often we're betting, is low. You center your bluffs around equity, and that works for all parts of poker. It's a really awesome thing to ingrain into your poker psyche. So on king five, deuce, queen, what are our high equity bluffs? If it is a queen that brings a flush draw, we've obviously got some flush draws, as Mike and I have mentioned many a time in the past. If you want to favor your nut flush draws with lower kickers, your second nut flush draws with lower kickers, etc. If the turn is pure rainbow, we've got hands like jack 10, 3, 4, 6, 4, maybe some jack 9. It's a really easy betting range to work out on the turn. It's very easy when your range is quite narrow because you center it around your strongest hands and your highest equity bluffs. Coming to something like King 5, Deuce 4 now, this is a much better turn for our range. Our equity is much better than it was on King 5, Deuce Queen. And therefore, our betting range is going to be wider. We do get to bet way wider here. Much more top pair betting in our range because our global frequency is higher. We get to be more liberal with our top pairs. Lots more of our middling pairs, our second pairs, our pocket sixes, pocket sevens, those types of hands, they get to bet much wider. King five, deuce, queen, you don't want to bet pocket sevens because you might run into a a check back king, but you might run into a turned second pair as well. King five, deuce, four, you might still run into that top pair, but obviously no turned second pairs in our opponent's range that beat us here. So we get to bet wider with those, you know, pocket sevens type hands. Because this turn is so good for our range, obviously we've got some natural bluffs to choose from, like 6-8, 6-7, Queen-3, Jack-3, all those types of hands. But we do actually get to have some non-equity turn barrels here because the turn is so good for us. So on King-5, Deuce-Queen, the turn is really bad for us. We don't get to probe with those non-equity hands. But on a board like King-5, Deuce-4, you'll find some 9-7 suited, some 9-8 suited, all those types of hands. At a lowest frequency, those sort of non-showdown hands that want to take a stab, they unblock hands like queen high and ace high that we're trying to make fold, they'll find their way into our range as well. Yeah, and when it comes to picking those no-equity bluffs, a little trick that'll help you all out, because I know it can be unintuitive to figure out which no-equity bluffs to choose from since you have so many, but on king 5-2-4, you're going to want to bluff with no-equity when you have cards that don't block the hands that they're clearly going to fold. So when you're bluffing with no equity on king five, deuce four, you don't want to have queen jack because you want them to have queen jack or some queen high like that. You want to have nine, eight because then they could have jack 10. They could have queen seven suited. They can have, you know, queen jack, maybe like some ace highs, like ace 10 that they probably do call, but they might fold to the river bet. But the main point here is you don't want to share cards with the hands that they're clearly going to fold like those, you know, non-ace-high high cards. Uh, so that's why Gary picked that 9-8, 9-7 suited. Those are perfect examples of no-equity bluffs to use on that board. Yeah, absolutely. And just to reiterate the point, you know, we don't get to relentlessly bluff with that like 9-8 suited, but it does certainly make it in there. Whereas on a board like King-5, Deuce-Queen, it just, it never makes it in. Right, just check and give up. All right, so let's wrap up this episode with some examples. I want to do it in a linear way, starting with a board that we will probe relatively frequently on. 
then we'll work our way backwards until we get to a board on which we should literally never probe bet. So let's start with one where the flop plus turn is very good for us. I think a good example would be 7-6-2 flop, turn 4. So, you know, we've defended out of the big blind. That board is all us. We're going to be the player who has more, like, 5-3 suiteds, you know, straight draws with, like, 9-8, powerful straight draws like that. We'll have 9-8 offsuit. They might not. We'll also have a bunch of two pairs that they can't have. Depending on where they raise from, we might even have more sets. If they raise from early position, they might not have those, you know, lower pairs. But I know Gary's going to do a button example, so they can have those lower pairs. But in any case, that board is still quite good for us with it being low, connected, and stuff like that. So how would you approach building your betting range, and what size would you be going with on this board? 762 turn 4. Yeah, so on this exact texture, you know, the 762s, there are some really good turns for our range, and they should be relatively obvious what they are. Basically, the 5, the 4, the 3, they're extremely good for us. And as mentioned earlier, the better the board for us, the more we get to play aggressively. I think I've said that a hundred times on this podcast, not just related to this specific topic that we're covering today. And it is just so, so important. When your global frequency is high, you're betting extremely wide. And that's the case on a board that's really good for you. On the flip side, if the board is really bad for you, your global frequency is low and you bet much less frequently. So seven, six, deuce four, we get to go nuts. We've got so many gut shots, open-ended straight draws. All of our queen eight, king eight, jack five are high equity hands, but because the turn is so good for us, we even get to bet frequently with the high card, no equity bluffs like king nine offsuit or queen 10 suited, basically because the turn is so good for us. A moment ago, Mike mentioned that these hands don't make much sense to bet on a board like king five, deuce four, you know, the queen jacks and the queen tens, but on this seven, six, deuce three, seven, six, deuce five, etc., our global frequency is so high that we get to bluff with these normally not so good bluffs as well. One other reason for that is that on a board like king five, deuce four, your opponent is going to call with a bunch of ace highs. But on a board like seven, six, deuce four, they're losing to way more hands with their ace highs and they fold much more liberally, which means it's much better for us to bluff with a hand like queen jack. So basically when the board is so good for you, you even get to include some of these high card hands that sort of block the hands you're trying to make folds. So we've spoken about those, you know, those high equity bluffs, those non-equity bluffs that we get to bet very often. Let's talk a little bit about our value now. All of our top pairs, all of our second pairs, even some turn third pairs, some bottom pairs, we get to bet these really quite often. Again, because the global frequency is so high, we get to bet a hand like jack six, queen four with the turn third pair. We get to bet them really quite wide. Lots of thin value slash protection to be had with these types of hands. So let's go ahead and bet them. Now, this is the tricky part, our sizing scheme. If we're confident enough to have two sizes here, we can split our range between 50% and 133%, for example. We bet the middling size with our second pairs, our third pairs, even our fourth pairs. And we use a large size with bottom set, top pair, two pair, all those types of relatively strong hands. But if we're not confident in splitting our range, you can simplify your strategy and have one generic 75% that you choose with hands like third pair, top pair, bottom set, you know, your open-ended straight draws your gut shots, all those types of hands. If you're not confident splitting your range, that's completely fine. Just go ahead and use a 75% bet size. But if you are confident and benefit greatly from having a 50% bet size with those middling pairs, those third pairs, those fourth pairs, and having a large bet size with your stronger hands. And of course, just a quick caveat, should you go for that split range? And if you're a savvy enough player to go for a split range strategy, you probably already know this, but it's worth reiterating. You do have to include some strong hands in that smaller size, just so you aren't left vulnerable to raises. You don't want your entire small betting range to be weak hands. That's obviously 
pretty easy to exploit, and your opponents might even exploit it kind of on accident because they'll attack that small size. So make sure you protect that small bet range with some strong hands as well. But mostly, when you have a strong hand, you go for the bigger size because you want to win more money. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And uh, there's one really cool thing that you can do. Obviously, there are exceptions to the, the following rule. But say seven six deuce four. If you've got a hand like five three, you want to very very heavily favor that into your large bet size. But a hand like seven six, you will use the large bet size very often for that. But that will sometimes be the small bet size. You you will use that to balance your small and large bet sizes. And the reason for that is that five three doesn't block any of the hands that you're trying to get called by. So it greatly favors just always being in your large bet size. But 7-6 blocks hands like 9-7, uh, King-6, all those types of hands that your opponent, that, that you're essentially targeting, which is why you'll still use a large bet size with that, but it will sometimes go into your smaller bet size as well. So you want to use the big bet size with hands like pocket deuces, 5-3, 8-5, that don't block the hands you're trying to get called by. And you can balance with some of the hands that do block those one pair of hands that you're trying to get called by. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of weights them a little bit more towards bluffs, potentially, when you bet smaller with those hands too. So yeah, for sure. Has a couple upsides for sure. All right, next example. Now let's do a flop and turn that is decent for us. I think one that's pretty good to do would be like a 974 flop with a middling or low turn, like a three or a five or whatever. So, wow, what do you think about range and sizing on a board like 974? So, one thing I haven't mentioned yet, which I guess is quite important to mention, we actually vaguely touched on it at the very start, but we're not just looking at the turn here. We have to take into consideration the flop as well. So, the 7 6 deuce 4. That's a relatively reasonable flop for the big blinds, but if we're looking at something like 974, that's actually a bit better for the button than a board like 7-6 deuce. In theory, the button will always keep their check back range from being weak, so the button is still doing okay on this board when the flop goes check-check. That means this board isn't as amazing for us as 7-6 deuce 3. So if we have a board like 9743, if we think about the flop being different than the 7-3 deuce that we've already looked at, that's going to mean less stabs with our air, focusing on having much more equity like gut shots and flush draws, and we don't get to bet as wide with our value. Case in point, our second pairs don't get bet anywhere near as much compared to the last example where we were betting second and third pair very, very often. In terms of our sizing scheme, again, ideally mixing between a small middling 50% and an overbet because we've got second pairs that want to bet, but we've also got straights and sets and you know two pairs that want to bet as well. So if we can have this split range strategy then that's great but if not if we're not confident that's completely okay we can use one generic 75 percent bet size and put all the hands that we want to bet into that size let's talk about how to play the many over cards that can come on the turn how are you approaching probe strategy uh when the turn is an over card let's say the board is 832 turn jack or turn queen something like that okay so the first thing i want to say is that i can almost guarantee a very common leak a lot of our listeners and viewers will, will have in their game right now is they will check close to their entire range. Say they defend the big blind, flop comes down, 8-3 deuce, it goes check, check, and the turn is an overcard. It's completely natural to think, well, the turn is an overcard, it's not very good for my range, I'm just going to check to my opponent. That's not the case. You know, there's a lot of overcards that come on the turn that we should be betting really quite wide on, almost as much as 50% on some of them. So we've really got to take into account our opponent's c-betting strategy on the flop. So if we look at a board like 8-3-deuce, let's think about what the button is going to c-bet on a board like this. They're never going to check a hand like 10-9. They're always going to bet that. They're always going to bet a hand like jack-9 with the backdoor straight draw, the backdoor flush draw, unblocking the ace highs, the king highs that they're trying to make fold. On the flip side, they're going to do a decent amount of checking with a hand like king-queen, king-jack, 
even Ace-King, Ace-Queen, Ace-Jack on certain textures, which means that when the turn is a 10, for example, we shouldn't just check because, you know, it's an overcard to the board and we should check to the preflop aggressor. If we really think about it, our opponent is going to see about a bunch of their 10-9s, etc. So they're not going to have too many of those turn top pairs, which means that we get to probe really quite wider than we might think on the 8-3 deuce 10. So we're going to get to probe with hands like 8x, 10x, even hands like pocket 7s at some frequency because our global frequency is much higher than we might have thought. On the flip side, 8-3 deuce king, for example, we know that the button checks back a hand like king, queen or king jack. They're going to connect with that king very well. We're doing much more checking on 8-3 deuce king than we are on 8-3 deuce jack. And if we are leading, which we should lead sometimes because we've got pocket deuces that want to lead sometimes, we've got 5-4 suited, which, you know, 5-high loves to win the pot right now. Our sizing scheme is going to reflect our very low global frequency and we're just going to overbet leads. So our sizing scheme on a board like 8-3 deuce jack is going to be, you know, 50% and an overbet because we've got hands like 9-8, but we've also got hands like pocket deuces. But on a board like 8-3 deuce king, we're much less inclined to bet our hand like 9-8. We're much less inclined to bet a hand like ace-3. Our range is really polarized, so we're going to use that, that overbet size. And of course, on an ace turn, we bet even less. Again, you know, really low frequency bet for us very much using the overbet. So it's really important we don't just snap check to our opponent when the overcard hits the turn. Let's think about our opponent's c-bet strategy and let's think about the, the overcards that they actually connect with less compared to some of the other overcards that they connect with. And let's go ahead and lead out and probe on some of those overcard turns where necessary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's do one more example and let's do a flop and turn combo where we should basically never bet where someone might even simplify their strategy and check range what are some you know examples of a situation where that might be the case so we've had a few of those examples crop up already in the podcast today those are the the, you know the flops and or turns that are really bad for your range and we want to play a very very low frequency turn probe and again our sizing scheme is going to be an overbet. even those of us uh, who are not splitting our range we don't want to use the 75 percent bet size here I'll give you some examples in a second, but it's going to be an overbet lead when we do elect to probe those, those turns. Some examples, the single Broadway flop with the turn high cards. Even, you know, the king-queen four, our opponent is not supposed to bet their entire range on king-queen four. So even a board like king-queen four deuce, we're not going to lead very often at all, probably 30% of the time. And because we're so polarized, our range is mainly overbetting. Lots of ace high boards will require a turn overbet probe, not necessarily because of how bad the board is for us, but more so because of how polarized our betting range is. Think about on ace nine, six, and then, you know, a three on the turn. That's not the worst board in the world for us, but you're not betting a hand like nine, eight. You're not betting a hand like pocket fives. You're not betting the ace four. You're rarely betting ace eight. Our betting range is very polarized here, so betting very infrequently, and again, using very, very big bet sizes. So the three types of boards, we can kind of summarize this. You know, a single Broadway board with another Broadway turn, or a double Broadway flop, regardless of what the turn is, and a lot of the ace-high boards. There are some ace-high boards which are quite good for us, for example, ace-four, do six, but a lot of the ace-high boards really bad for us. We're rarely betting the turn. I don't think there are any boards that we should have a range check on the turn. But some of the boards mentioned, you know, we're betting 15% of the time at the very most. Very, very infrequent. And as mentioned, just very quickly, we'll summarize the range that wants to bet. If we choose a board like King, Queen, Four, Deuce, the double Broadway board, really not good for us. We've got some two pairs. We've got some sets. We're also balancing our range by check raising some of those hands as mentioned. Uh, and our equity hands are going to be hands like Jack 10, 5 3, maybe some 6 3 in there as well. It's really narrow and it's really easy to work out what that range is. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. So 
Now everyone listening should have a much better idea how to approach pro betting on the turn. They might even now know what it means because <laughs> I know a lot of people don't. It's funny, for a long time, if you Googled what is a pro bet, what came up was a small bet that's meant to gather information. <laughs> like the people who were the people who were defining it online were like not getting it right. Now if you Google it, upswing comes up, so the correct definition does show up. But for a long time, it's hard to even know what a pro bet was. Oh, wow. So you now, yeah, pretty funny. <laughs> Pre-upswing days were dark, dark days. So, like I said, now you have an idea of how to probe on the turn. If you want to learn even more about this topic, there's a great module in the Upswing Lab called Probe and Delay CBET on the Turn by UK pro Jason McConnell, really good mid- and high-stakes player who made a great lesson in the lab for us about Probe and Delay CBET. Delay CBET, obviously, would be, if we check again, what the in-position player should be doing uh, after checking back the flop, when they should be betting, when they should be checking back for a second time. If you want to go check that out, head over to upswingpoker.com and join the lab. You can use the coupon code LEVELUP to get $50 off. That's an exclusive discount for people who listen to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating, hit the thumbs up button, subscribe or follow, depending on what channel you're on. We would really appreciate it. Helps us out. Doesn't cost you anything. We're going to continue making this show for you regardless, so we hope you're enjoying it, and we will see you in the next one.